Sepsis is a life-threatening illness caused by your body's overwhelming response to an infection. UBC's Action on Sepsis podcast series focuses on telling the whole journey of sepsis from the perspective of the patient, with input from healthcare workers, researchers, and other individuals advocating for improved sepsis care nationally and globally. Now, join Christine Russell as she showcases a diverse collection of stories and shares knowledge from research and clinical fields to support learning so that we can help protect yourself and your loved ones. My daughter Ellie and I suffered from neonatal and postpartum sepsis due to group A streptococcus, which resulted in life-saving measures after her birth. To learn more about our story, I encourage you to listen to episode one of this series. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Pascal Lavoie, BC Children's Hospital neonatologist, who will explain in more detail what sepsis is, the impact of sepsis on neonates, and some innovative tools he is currently developing to recognize sepsis in babies quicker, which will in turn improve long-term outcomes. Good morning, Dr. Lavoie. Can you please explain in more detail what sepsis is? Yeah, sepsis is, is how the body responds to a serious infection. So an infection ultimately uh, can become life-threatening, especially when it, um, the bacteria or the pathogen invades the whole body. And that could trigger a very serious protection defense response by the body. But it happens sometimes that this response, be- this response becomes overwhelming to the body. And uh, the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, all the organs will be pushed to their limit to try to sustain life and get rid of the pathogen. So sepsis is that really huge stress response, defense, fighting response that uh, people get in the end when they uh, go through a serious infection. So it's a very severe problem. And it's more common than we think. So is there, is there a, a difference between sepsis in adults, say, between sepsis in adults and sepsis in neonates? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's actually quite common both in adult and neonates, but babies are particularly vulnerable uh, especially babies that are born prematurely because their immune system is immature not fully developed and also i think in part because babies don't talk and they can't say when there's something wrong so it's an it's it's an easy diagnosis to miss especially for uh uh help practitioner that are not used to assessing babies. So by the time the diagnosis gets made, often it's uh, babies are far ahead in their disease process. So fortunately, most babies who get an infection will be okay. Their body will just fight it. But in rare cases, the infection can progress to sepsis. And it's a fairly serious problem that carries a mortality somewhere between uh, a third to half of the babies, even with uh, intensive care treatment. So those babies often, almost always need 
life-saving interventions to uh, to help them uh, and antibiotics of course to fight the the pathogen in case of bacteria so the what's different in babies is that it's hard really hard to make a diagnosis especially early on and the the risk is uh, also probably higher because their immune system is um, at an earlier stage, but that's mainly through for premature babies. And and you say the diagnosis is harder to make, and and is that again? I know you mentioned because they can't say what's wrong, um, but does that also is are there any other factors that contribute to that? Um, symptoms or presentation or the ability to diagnostically um, uh, some of the criteria to diagnose such as blood or lumbar punctures. I mean, Ellie, in our case, Ellie had eight lumbar punctures that unfortunately came back inconclusive or contaminated. Um, which didn't give us a, a firm result um, for some of the culturing that they had done on those LPs. So is that some of the reasoning why it's harder to diagnose neonates? Yeah, I think you're right, Christine. So, um, so when babies have sepsis, uh, um, and I, I'm not trying to scare people here, as I said, most babies are fine with an infection, but when, when it becomes severe, um, they, um, uh, they, they may not have all the signs that you see typically in an adult, like a high fever and so on. So, uh, which makes it harder to diagnose for in general Uh, and they, and bacteria or pathogens can invade their blood very quickly. Plus, um, a lot of the tests we do right now to identify the cause of sepsis is relies on cultures. And you mentioned the example of a blood culture, which is taking a little bit of blood and putting it into a, a lab to, to grow whatever bacteria or pathogen these babies have in their blood. It's the same thing with a lumbar puncture. Obviously, with babies, the amount of sample that is uh, obtainable is much smaller uh, because they're they're just smaller persons. So, uh, and those tests are often uh, volume dependent. So, if you have less blood volume, your ability to detect could be reduced. So, this is another thing that makes it really challenging, is because we studies have estimated that about half or 50% of blood cultures may not grow in the end. So often we don't know what the organism is, which makes it harder to decide on how long to treat and so on. So we have to go clinically, we have to go by clinical intuition. So um, truth is because of that, we end up treating a lot of babies with antibiotics because we don't want to miss a few cases which is another concern or problem that where where we need uh, we need new knowledge and research in this area. 
And, and, you know, we chatted a little bit before this and talked about some, some of the research that, that you're a part of and doing. And do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the innovation of of diagnostic tools that may are currently in the process of being developed to to help um with that process of of blood draws and and the ability to to be able to properly diagnose so technologies have have evolved very, very uh, much in the last 10, 20 years, which makes it interesting because right now we can uh, study what happens in a blood sample. So for, so just taking a few steps back, you look at blood, it's, it's a red fluid. It looks very simple, but it's actually quite sophisticated. You have uh, dozens of different immune cells, red blood cells, platelets, and so on. They're all working together and they're part of the sepsis response. And, and even within each of these cell types, their specialization. So each cells have its own role in fighting the, the infection. So, uh, so right now we have technologies where we can look at uh, all these uh, cells and their function and their role in just in a drop of blood. So it's almost like, it's a little bit like looking at a smoothie that's all mixed up and being able to tell which fruits composed the original recipe and how the recipe was made. So it's very powerful in terms of understanding what's happening. So uh, because these can be done, uh, have been scaled down over the years to very small volume, essentially a drop of blood, then they it opens possibilities to understand what's happening in babies as well. So then you can start asking question where, how does um, this baby respond compared to that other baby? And what's different in babies that have certain type of infection or babies that do better or do worse. And most uh, interestingly also, you can, um, because clinical signs of sepsis early on can mimic a lot of other problems in babies because this, the signs are non-specific. So um, they can help differentiate whether a baby has sepsis versus another problem. And that's really important because all these diseases have very specific treatment that are needed very early on in order to change the, the outcome and help the baby uh, make it through. So, so that's part of the research we are doing. It's called, we, it's, we call it biomarker research. So we're looking at a signature in blood that will indicate where babies are at in the process and how they may respond to treatment even, or how they may, um, or w w what, uh, what kind of sepsis or, or microorganism uh, is involved in their infection process. Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, it would have definitely, like when I think about it in our situation, um, would have likely eliminated a lot of medical trauma, so to speak, in the way of multiple blood draws, multiple lumbar punctures. Um, as I mentioned, eight is a lot. Um, and likely would have been able to isolate the 
the problem right away. We were we were in in Medicine Hat for quite a long period of time in the way of in in my opinion hours is is crucial when it comes to to sepsis and we were in Medicine Hat before she was airlifted and picked up by the neonatal transport team from the foothills and the you know and probably would have been able to move, been moved sooner been put on the proper antibiotics quicker and and they had switched her antibiotics when they knew it was um, a group A strep infection, mm-hmm. sepsis, and and something like that would have initiated that treatment much quicker. So, I mean, that's that's amazing for um, care going forward for for families for sure. Yeah. So right now, where we're at with this research in terms of being able to apply this is, um, so. So as I said, the technologies are there. Um, we're we're making well, not just us, but in general, the scientific community is making huge progress trying to understand defining those biosignatures. And uh, but these tests are still quite costly and sophisticated, and are not rapidly available. They're available in a research setting. So I think the next a step the next five, 10 years uh, would be the, the challenge or the, your, the objective would be to, 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 to make those uh, biosignatures into a, a much faster, simpler test that can be done. Once you understand the biosignature, you can scale them down to a test that can be done much faster, sort of diagnostic test that's done. Uh, in a hospital setting and that you can have result in within uh, hours, ideally minutes. And that's where we're at right now is to validating those tests and so on. That's going to take a little bit more research, but I think in the near, near maybe, you know, five, 10 years from now, we'll have um, those tests are starting to appear in adult medicine, but babies are, we're always behind because it takes more time to to do research. Um, But uh, in in this uh, age group, there's specific challenges as people can understand, but I think five to 10 years from now, we um, hopefully will have those tests and then we'll be able to tell uh, again, without, as you said, having to expose babies to multiple procedure, because right now to get enough volume to, to, to make her diagnosis, to get enough blood or, or lumbar puncture fluid, uh, unfortunately, sometimes babies have to get poked multiple times. It's a major disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and lastly, I, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about uh, post-sepsis syndrome in neonates, which is something that I have been extremely passionate about um, and something that I, I, I think Ellie has, has experienced and continues to experience uh, and something that I've been learning more about and actively involved with with both action on sepsis and and sepsis Canada and 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 I feel that there is definitely a gap there when it comes to follow up care 
and recognition around uh, post-sepsis syndrome in neonates. And and I would love to hear your sort of opinion and, and your thoughts around post-sepsis syndrome in neonates and if and and what your thoughts are around, you know, long-term development when it comes to babies who have experienced sepsis. Yeah, right. I, I, I totally agree with you. This is probably the one of the most important future area that the scientific community needs to tap into because um, when you think about sepsis being the an extreme response to an extremely stressful disease, all the organs are pushed to their limit. Uh, we can expect that there's going to be a long recovery from that. Now, we know from adult studies that um, uh, mortality following a sepsis episode will be higher compared to people who didn't have sepsis for up to a year, maybe longer after. So there's got to happen. Something happens to the body. Uh, there's good data showing that the immune system will be changed in, uh, again, up to weeks, months, years later. So sort of reprogrammed. And what are the long-term effects of this? Uh, that's what we are not entirely sure. Now, this is all in adults. Um, we don't have much clue in babies, but the response is so extreme and sepsis being much more common in, in babies in general. I think that we, we need to we need to find out. And especially you, the example you um with your daughter, with Ellie, I think uh, we it's just an area where we uh, we don't know, but also physicians in general are not sensitized to the fact that there may be long-term uh, issues after sepsis. If there's one thing, uh, I guess one good thing about COVID, it's not a good disease, but it really put back up to the front the idea that uh, uh, that sepsis can result in long-term problems, and people may have heard about long COVID, which is a form of post-sepsis syndrome, because in with COVID, you do have, it's a sepsis response, same thing. And we know that uh, 10, 30% maybe of adults will be left with, with problems three, six months longer after. So that really... Uh, uh, you know, make people realize that post-sepsis syndrome is real. Mm -hmm. And now I think what we need to do is to set up, uh, uh, kind of get together and set up uh, studies to uh, follow up and really find out how do these babies do. And of course, these babies are followed by physicians, pediatricians, but until we collect the data in a systematic way, it's very hard to to say how common these things are, what kind of problems and so on, and, and to get the big picture about this. And that's what we're lacking at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I mean, I agree with, with COVID for sure. And I've talked about this in other episodes is that I guess the silver lining with COVID as bad as it's been is it's definitely brought to light the, the long-term impacts of severe illness and 
we have so much data from so many sick people all at once at the same time, and we're going to be able to follow those people that have been so critically ill for months, Mm. years now, that it's going to definitely facilitate in in that post-sepsis world that so many people have already experienced for years and years and years. And so I, I really appreciate you coming on today and and chatting with me and and your expertise and your knowledge and, you know, everything that you're doing research-wise. I think, you know, even this this early recognition tool is just, even if it is five, 10 years from now, is going to make such a huge difference in patient lives. I mean, watching your child be poked or hearing about your child being poked because you couldn't be there for your child being poked eight times for a lumbar puncture is, is a hard thing to go through. And if this is something that can just even eliminate that part for families, um, then that it's just, that's incredible work. So I really, really appreciate you coming on today, Pascal, and, and thanks so much. And I, I thank you uh, too to uh, for giving me the opportunity to come and talk about this. Obviously, as a neonatologist who looked after these babies in the NICU every day, it's a subject that's very dear to me, and I can understand what uh, what uh, Ellie went through. And then, uh, uh, and I couldn't hope for for more uh, answers uh, around this this problem. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lavois. Thank you. In the next episode of this series, I'm joined by Lisa Holstey, Associate Professor of Occupational Science and Therapy at the University of British Columbia, to talk about follow-up care, development of neonates, and support for families of babies who have been ill and have spent time in the NICU. Thanks for joining us. This has been the University of British Columbia's Action on Sepsis podcast. We thank the brave sepsis survivors who have come forward to share their stories. Our review panel that includes physicians, clinicians, and researchers, and our patient advisors. If you liked this podcast, make sure to hit subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Let us know what you think about this week's topic and join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. For links to topics on this episode, additional resources, resources, or to listen to other Action on Sepsis podcast episodes, please visit our website at sepsis.ubc.ca slash podcast. Action on Sepsis is a plugged-in media production for the University of British Columbia. Thanks for listening.